Well, Dietra Clark, it's amazing to have you. For those who maybe are not familiar with who you are, you are a Christian therapist. You're a part of our church, and uh, we've had the chance to sit down and have conversations before. But as we talk church today, could you maybe tell people a little bit more about you, about your background, uh, maybe why you're here, and then we'll dive in. And I'm excited to start off this new year talking about mental health, our emotional health, being healthy leaders, healthy pastors, uh, so that we can lead others well. But want to hear more from you about how you would describe yourself. And I know it's going to be a great conversation today. Thanks for having me. Yep. I'm Dietra Clark, and I have been a therapist for over 15 years and worked with just a wide range of people from children to adults to family. And one of my favorite areas of practice is within the Christian body, because I think there used to be a stigma around emotional health and therapy, where we put that in a category. And so when I practiced in Conway, Arkansas, which is where I'm originally from, our church back home really saw the need there for um, marrying my practice and finding ways to really bring that into the church. And so it allowed this conversation, just kind of a general conversation of normalizing this, mm-hmm. the same way we go to a doctor, the same way we go to a dentist. Um, and so the last six or seven years of my practice was really primarily with leaders in the Christian community. And so I still practice some here in Minnesota. I spend most of my time homeschooling my four kids and playing wife and hanging out at the church. And yeah. Amazing. So thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. I remember actually one of my best friends, uh, Tanner, is from Conway. And he sent me a text and said, we have this amazing family moving up to Minnesota. You've got to meet them. And that was really the beginning of that. And then uh, being a part of our church, we've done events together with young adults. Mm -hmm. You've helped teach some of our uh, courses, uh, just helping the church grow in this area. But I asked you to be here to talk specifically to pastors, church leaders, people who are serving others. And I know Mm -hmm. that can be a difficult place to be. Um, and I first want to I first want to talk about ourselves because mm-hmm. as we're in this new year, a lot of times people are having goals, resolutions, all these things and and maybe they're more metric based. but yeah. I think there are there often should be goals that are more intrinsic and uh, maybe less uh, quantitative and more qualitative um, factors in who we are. But I want to get to how we can help others. But first, talking about how we can help ourselves. You, mm-hmm. you mentioned the stigma in the church has kind of gone away. Um, do you do you see that in a broad sense, or is it more so in a small sense? Because I feel like there still is some. I don't but- know that it's gone away per se. I just think I think the conversation is greater. Mm-hmm. Uh, But I I still do think that there is a stigma there. And I think the main reason for the stigma is I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding between mental health versus mental illness. Okay. They're not the same. Um, But, you know, and I've I've heard it uh, in conversations. I've heard it from pulpits where sometimes we will throw out these words like, oh, I forgot something. I can't believe I did that. I'm having a bipolar moment. I'm having an ADHD moment. And those things really kind of further that, oh, I don't need this sure. because I don't have that. But I think it's important to differentiate mental health from mental illness, I think, to start the conversation because what it does is it really opens the door for everybody to see 
that we all need mental health because we all have a mind and we all have emotions. Mm -hmm. So the stigma that we don't need mental health, I think is because we don't understand what it is. Sure. What? How would you describe the difference between mental health and mental illness? You said we need to know the difference, but I'm sure you'd get a number of different answers from mm -hmm. people, but would love to hear your perspective and uh, illuminate us on what's right. <laughs> yeah, I actually wrote down a definition um, that I like to share. Mental health is defined as satisfactory adjustment to the ordinary demands of life. So mm. I have a job, I have a family, I have responsibilities, I have deadlines, I have things that I have to do. And people can be really overwhelmed by that mm. and not handle stress very well. Yeah, no pastors deal with no, any of that. Yeah. No, no, like juggling things throughout the day. But we've just kind of come to accept if we don't handle that well, that's just normal. I'm just overburdened. I'm just stressed out. But really, I think it can be an indicator that you may need to check your mental health because the satisfactory adjustment to everyday demands that aren't going away, mm -hmm. satisfactory means that you can weave in and out. You're resilient in that. You can bounce back. It doesn't take you down. But when we don't address that, it can open the door for mental illness. And mental illness is a dis-ease. It is mental illness that happens. Usually it can be trauma. It can be generational. It can be something physiological um, or all three together. And mental health unchecked can often lead to mental illness. So I think those are the main difference. And mental illness is where we get into clinical diagnosis. Sure. So the... What I'm trying to process through is, do, do you, would you say that similar to our physical health, when neglected over time, long-term diseases, you know, things related to physical health, obviously you can be unhealthy for a while and not know much about it. You can eat candy all the time and eat mm -hmm. really unhealthy and have, you know, tons of sugar, but you're not going to, maybe you feel it initially, but you don't think about it much. Do you feel like it works similarly in, in mental health as well? Or do you think that it's, because I think even in my life, there's stresses. I have stressful weeks. I have stressful months. I have stressful days. But then I also have other times where it feels good. Is it, if I'm not dealing with that at the time, or does that make sense mm -hmm. in like what I'm thinking about it? Can you talk about that? Are you saying to clarify that similar to how disease can build up in our bodies from not taking care of ourselves over yeah. time, mental illness can happen the yeah, same way? Yeah, I, just, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's, if it's the same or different or similarities? Yeah, I think it's it's absolutely the same. And I think also um, similar to, well, actually physical illness and mental illness actually typically can go together. Hmm. They're comorbid, cor morbid. So what that means is like if I'm emotionally, like I have depression or anxiety, which those are clinical diagnoses, you can have a day of feeling worried that's not the same as mm. anxiety. I can have a day of being down. You know, maybe somebody passed or I had a, a run-in with a friend that it didn't go well. So I'm down that day. That's not the same as clinical depression. But when there's clinical issues, meaning it just goes, it's ongoing, it's chronic, typically you will see something physical with that because the body heals as one unit. Everything works together. So if physically I'm not well, usually emotionally I'm not well. And if emotionally I'm not well, physically I'm not well. So it all builds up together, which is why 
the importance of checking in on mental health matters so much. Mm -hmm. Like when you're emotionally aware of what's happening with you, you're also physiologically aware. If I'm laying in the bed and I don't feel well, I'm not really concerned about other areas of my health. If I'm intuitively checking in all the time on how I'm doing, I'm aware when my body feels a little bit off. I don't accept the things that are common as normal. I'm aware that this is not normal because mm-hmm. I'm constantly checking in. As someone who works with a lot of Christians over your your time, um, how integrated is this to your spiritual health? Well, I mean, biblically, in Genesis— I think it's uh, Genesis 6 where it talks about when um, when the Lord formed Adam, you know, like he, from dust, there's the body, and then he breathed into his nostrils, that's the spirit, and then he became a man, that's the soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and then First Thessalonians says that we're a spirit, we're a soul, we're a body. So we know all three components work together. Mm-hmm. When dealing with those daily habits— how can you distinguish between what is maybe a downtime versus something that needs more attention? Because I think there's probably a lot of leaders who feel like, yeah, it's just it's just life, it's just ministry, and it's just um, being it, it's just being involved in in with people business. That mm-hmm. people are going to let you down. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. And I think maybe that more was the stigma of what mm-hmm. we've overcome a little bit. But I I still think that even if maybe the stigma of public opinion is not as strong, there's still your own internal um, doubts about, I don't want to be seen as weak. I'm the shepherd or I'm a leader in this church or I'm a deacon. Talk a little bit about that vulnerability of accepting that I need to, to do something about this that's outside of the normal or maybe ways to uh, assess that in your own life. I think when your functioning is impaired, we know what we show people, but we're aware of what is happening internally. If your thoughts are more negative than positive, if you're dragging into work and you don't want to be here, if you're faking, and we have this saying about faking it till you make it, but really if you're doing that, that's a symptom that you're not well. We shouldn't have to fake it through our day. I mean, we can have a moment where maybe we don't want to talk to anybody because we're, I have that. After I would see clients all day from nine to two or three, I kind of just needed an hour not to talk. That's different than I genuinely, when I wake up in the morning, I don't want to go into work. I don't want to talk to anybody. Um, I feel on the inside, like I could cry at any moment. I'm irritable. Um, my responses are not well, or we're emotionally checked out, like numb. And I think sometimes we can do this spiritual bypass thing where we're like, oh, it's just because I've been peopling so much. But if we're honest with ourselves, we could go through a checklist to to really assess that we're not well. When your functioning is impaired, your relationships are impaired, your your work performance or productivity is impaired, it's time to do something different. Mm-hmm. And I think the the best leader, similar to the best therapist or the best doctor, is caring for self first bef- before you pour into someone else. You give from your overflow. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have anything to give, you really can't give it well. Mm-hmm. In Christian communities, specifically among pastors, it's pretty tight-knit. Um, among therapists, do you 
did you see that a lot of therapists also practiced and had their own person? Or do you think that was another area? Because I'm looking at pastors who they kind of have the image of, all right, I'm, I'm together. And in some ways they have to be morally and, you know, with mm-hmm. their family, there's certain criteria that scripture lays out that you need to follow to be a, a leader in the church. But in the same way, I'm sure as a therapist, there's some perceptions there. Can you talk about that mm-hmm. personally and maybe in your community among therapists? I think maybe pastors could resonate with that maybe pressure of feeling like you should have it all together. Yeah. The therapists that I refer to most have their own therapist. I have always had a therapist or a coach or a men- I do right now. I have a mentor. I have a coach and I have somebody that I'm partnering with because we're we're always on a journey, right? Like healing is a journey. We never arrive. And wholeness is the goal, but you have to be going through the journey to get there. And so the therapist that I'm most comfortable referring out to if I can't get to somebody, I know that they're doing their own work. Mm-hmm. The people that are deceived in feeling like they don't need any more work, that's a sign of not being healthy to begin with. I don't mean that judgmentally. It's just true. We're always in process. And if we're not working on ourselves, that means that we've stopped growing. Mm -hmm. And so you really can't take people further than where you've been. Sure. I feel like maybe one of the places that pastors maybe find themselves in, not as frequently, but maybe more um, importantly, dealing with trauma, Mm -hmm. they're all of a sudden as a pastor, you could be thrown into a situation to where I've been in situations like this, whether it be a suicide or a a sudden death or an overdose or, I mean, even tragedy. We've had it even on our staff of people that have just, you know, often it's related to health, but maybe it's somebody walked away from the faith and a family wants your reassurance. Um, Can you talk a little bit about maybe what things people can do and should do when when moving forward from those things. Because I think as a pastor, you're, okay, we got the funeral arrangements or we have mm. the family to take care of, or we have, you know, maybe there's, there's a meal train we need to set up and there's a lot of things you need to get going on. But then what happens? You got to write the sermon and, or you got to take care of the groups that you're leading. It, it, it often, it doesn't stop. We're, we're Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. And so, whereas maybe in other areas of, of, maybe jobs, you could take a little bit of time off and it's like, and pastors and church leaders, like there's no time off. Mm -hmm. What are things maybe people can do when following up from traumatic experiences, maybe not even as severe as what I'm talking about, but just dealing with heavy things all the time to maybe not go down the path towards mental illness or burnout or things like that? Oh, trauma is a big one. Because trauma changes us. It changes the way that we view ourselves. It changes the way that we view other people, the lens around us. Um, It changes the way that we interact with people. And I think, so like, for example, when we've had a lot of school shootings in the last 20 years and uh, in small communities, like where I'm from, it, it impacts us in a different way because you typically do everything in those communities together. And the counselors in those communities, they have to have counseling hmm. before they counsel others. Maybe they knew that child that was involved in that shooting. Maybe they knew the perpetrator. And so here they are trying to care for a whole community of people, but they're grieving themselves. And so 
it should almost be required, I think, that you have a person and not just a friend, not just your spouse, but a professional person to go to to process that trauma with for yourself before trying to care for others. Or maybe there's no time for that, so after, Mm -hmm. before you move on to the next thing. Because if you don't process it, where does it go, mm-hmm. right? It's it's out. It's better out than in. And so I think that having an identified person that you trust, uh, and sometimes it's more than one. Sometimes it's a mentor. Sometimes it's a mentor and a professional to process, process that with. I think taking a little time off, even if it's just a day, because one of the other things that I think happens, especially in ministry, is there are so many demands and there are so many things to do that we can have this belief that there's no time. So we have this idea of a self-care day. Mm-hmm. And Self-care is not a day. It's actually like a discipline. It's a lifestyle. And so the discipline of I'm constantly caring for myself so that I can pour into others well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something I think that I've had to learn is here at River Valley, we're a fast-moving church, even with my dad. He's a visionary leader, and it's always going. And um, he's obviously had decades of experience on figuring out how to care for himself. But for a lot of us, sometimes we feel like you know, it's a moving car and you grab hold of the rope and you get, you know, pulled. Um, in seasons where you change pace a lot, mm-hmm. how do you avoid the trap of maybe going too far? You mentioned like the self-care day, but it's almost to the point where you're like, all right, I almost am, am taking an exit off of the path God had for me so that I can recover. Would mm-hmm. that be something you suggest for a time? Is there is there a too long? Like, I, I guess part of my question is, you know, I've, I have a, a counselor that I see and there are times where my meetings are more frequent. Mm-hmm. There are times where it's very distant, you know, mm-hmm. maybe even years that go by that I feel maybe that's too long. I don't know. I guess that's why I'm asking the question. But sometimes I'm like, I need two sessions a week. <laughs> Other times it's like, I, I, I'm i great right now. I feel really good. Can you talk about maybe in those seasons of how long is too long to be in a rut, to feel almost where your therapist or counselor becomes a crutch? And of course, if they're good, of course, they're helping you. But, but there's only so much that you can do for an individual. Can you talk about maybe how you can even self-assess? And I guess maybe if you're in that, it'd be hard to self-assess, but... Yeah, and I think that's where um, the consistency and building up the relationship. I mentioned earlier a, a good, a good therapist. Not ev- not all therapists are created equally. You know, it's just it's just kind of the the truth of it. I have had some dentists that I walked away and my gums were, were bleeding, and I've had others that did a cleaning, and it's like I didn't even know they were in there. Right? Like every therapist is a little bit different, but I think having having a counselor or a therapist or whoever you're working with that's honest enough to really look at what your needs are and to say more frequently or scale back. But also, I think don't wait until you're in the trauma to go. Mm-hmm. Don't wait until things have just fallen apart to go. If you're, if it's a discipline and a lifestyle, I think checking in regularly. So probably quarterly is, is decent, but also that's just one piece. Mm-hmm. What does your physical health look like? 
you know, or how how are you eating? So much of our emotions, our ability to sustain, to endure, um, how we sleep, all of that is physical. So if we eat like trash, we feel like trash. If there's no movement in our body, right, mm-hmm. things can't work themselves out. Um, spirit, soul, body, and they all work together. And so I think a lot of times, especially in the Christian body, we can hyper-focus on one area. So we're like, I'm in with the therapist, I'm in with the counselor, I'm I'm doing my due diligence, but then I'm neglecting the spirit and the body or vice versa. I'm killing it in the gym, but there's no soul work. Mm-hmm. And so I really think that a healing plan, which everybody needs, encomp- encompasses all three. It encompasses your body, it encompasses your spirit, it encompasses your soul. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be intentional with staying on that plan throughout the year. It's not just, it's January, so I'm going to drop 20 pounds, and then by March I'm not doing anything physically because that's going to impact you emotionally. Yeah, no doubt. And hearing the multiple mind, body, soul, and the the work that it takes, I think some people feel like, well, I can get two of the three and I can be pretty good. But obviously what you're talking about is what God's pretty clear with us is what his desire of full flourishing looks like. Can you talk a little bit about maybe the the ways you can assess those things across the levels of like how, how focusing too much on an area, almost becoming an idol. You talked about mm-hmm. it like being really great. And then I want us to almost transition a little bit into how we can help others. As we talked about how we can help ourselves starting off the year, having things that we can do that that help us so that we can help others. But I, but for a lot of people who are listening, their whole calling is to help others. And so I want to get there. But can you talk a little bit about about maybe maybe ways that you can balance that if it's possible, the, mm-hmm. the three? Um, because I do see that there are times where you'll, you'll have a pastor who's amazing and they're um, awesome with the word. But then again, it's like, maybe their physical health is not where it should be. And that's a barrier for some people. And for others, it's, uh, I don't talk about emotional health because that if you're good with God, you're going to have good emotional health. And it's like, well, that that doesn't seem like it's right either. Mm -mm. No, that's avoidance. I mean, it is. And I think think a great place for people to start when they're looking at not making it an idol, but also creating the discipline or the lifestyle of being consistent with it because we don't want to start out hot and then trail off. I recommend a healing plan. I really recommend sitting down um, with a mentor, sitting down, if you're going to be working out or trying to fix your eating, sitting down with people who have an expertise in that area and creating a healing plan that is going to fit into your life. So you wouldn't have a plan that you know you're not going to get to. I love to work out at 5 a.m. in the morning. That's what works for me. By 4 o'clock, I'm done. I'm not interested in a gym. So I would not put a workout for me at 4 p.m. because I'm not going to go. Your healing plan needs to work into your life so that you do it and so you look forward to it. So I think when you're writing it, I almost visualize listing the three areas listing spirit, listing body, and listing soul, and then what does it encompass to really nurture your spirit man? It would probably look something like making sure you're attending church regularly, that you have a a mentor in the faith that's keeping you accountable. And then for your physical, what are you eating? I think we should always be assessing that. That's a whole nother podcast, Mm -hmm. but our food is one of the most I think, single destroyers 
of our emotions and of our body, and we can be really flippant in that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not just the working out. That's 20% of how we feel. 80% is what we eat. So when we're looking at the body, how much sleep are you getting? If you're staying up until 2 and 3 in the morning working on your sermons, how how good are you going to be when you go in at at eight in the morning, and then the soul that encompasses your emotion and your and your mind. So, what are you listening to? Mm-hmm. Um, who are you talking to? Who are you processing your emotions with? Because we do two things that I think we can suppress and and we repress. You know, I don't want to deal with that yet. I don't want to talk about that. I'm okay just to leave that alone. But that's suppression. And so if we're not getting it out, it doesn't go anywhere, and it will show up in some other area. So if, if our whole mission in life is to care for people, if that's what we've been called to, we can be super anointed, we can be super gifted. But if we're not emotionally healthy, it, it's going to impact how that anointing flows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned food and sleep. And towards the latter part of last year, um, my wife and I really— were intentional and she was earlier than me. She got me on board, but really intentional about what we eat, kind of cut out almost all of sugar and just everything. And what I didn't realize was I used to eat things that were not healthy for me, but my body wouldn't react to them. But once I started eating things that it actually needed, then when I went back, confession last night, I went to a hockey game and was out far too late and had some sugar and things. And I woke up this morning at like 5.30, like, oh my goodness, I got like four hours of sleep because I got back at one in the morning, whatever. It was, it was, I was, I was behaving, but it was just a late game, guys. Okay. But I noticed it this morning. I'm like, oh, I feel horrible. Yeah. And normally it's like, I'm in bed by you know 10 o'clock. I'm getting a full night's sleep. Mm-hmm. I'm eating right, doing my stretches, all that stuff. And so even today, as we record this episode, I'm feeling what you're saying. And um, bef- before we go on, I know I said the last thing. Can can you talk about motivation a little bit? I don't know if there's science behind motivation or if you've seen that in your um, practice, but part of around this time of year, right? It's the motivation to, maybe it's for everyone else, it's the new year, or maybe it's, I want to do what I've wanted to do for a long time. But to me, there's so much momentum around motivation Yet, I feel like motivation lasts two days. Uh huh. Can you talk maybe about ways that you can get that motivation to last a little bit longer? Because mm-hmm. I think for all of us, we're like we have goals and we have we want to do our healing plan, but it starts and two days later it fizzles it, out. Yeah, it it's fizzles done. Out. It's done. It's because I think what gets people motivated is like emotion. It's like yeah, I'm seeing everybody hashtagging, you know, 2023, and so. It starts as emotionalism, but that's not enough to sustain. It has to move from the emotional decision of here's my goal to choices. And as you intentionally choose it every day, even when you don't feel like it, you're retraining your brain. Mm. Our brains are like, they're basically like plastic and they can change, but they change with our behavior. So our emotions aren't enough to sustain it because our brains have memory, right? It's like... When you drive home from work today, you may be on a phone call, not even thinking about how you're getting there. And then 20 minutes later, you'll be home. Like, how did I get here? I wasn't even paying attention to that. It's because your brain's on autopilot. And if we want to create new habits that sustain, we have to do new things because mm. we're on autopilot, Yeah. right? You want to go to the gym, but you've trained yourself that when you pull up, 
Typically, I'm going to stay for five or 10 minutes and I'm going to leave. If you want to create a new change in your brain that sustains, you, for most people, I think they get a trainer or they get a workout partner because that partner, that trainer is going to train you to do something different that's going to shift your mindset around Mm -hmm. it. And then also we have this um, kind of this 21 days. It takes 21 days to create a new habit. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know what book that's in. Um, There was a university in London that did a study, and the study actually found that it it takes at least 66 days to Hmm. form a new habit and for it to, like, be something that you continue. Because if you've been doing the same thing for 20 years, 21 days, (laughs) it's not going to do it, you know? You have to retrain your brain in that. So So all of us who are part of 21 days in prayer and fasting right now, it should be 66 days I knew you were going to go there. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to put a plug in to say everything except for the 21 days in class. I'm not talking about that, but everything else. Yeah, Yeah, everything else, working out, eating well, um, you know, going to bed on time, all those things. I know I stay up late and I have to intentionally like set a timer to get in the bed because my body is just kind of accustomed to, I can stay up this late. I get up at 4.30 to go to the gym at five. I don't even think about it anymore. It's just kind of what I do because I've done it for 13 years. So I think to answer your question, for people to sustain throughout the year, write the plan while you're motivated for these first couple of days. And then you have to choose it until it becomes a new habit for you. So would you say in some ways motivation is emotional, but like discipline is is behavioral? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Trademark that one. Absolutely. Josh is going to post that one on Instagram. Um, kind of finishing off the thought, I know I've kind of been alluding to it and I keep getting distracted, but when we talk about helping others, yeah. I think a big question is in what ways am I saying, oh, I'm not a professional, I can't touch that. And then in other ways, what ways am I involving myself because I think I know a lot, but when reality, it's, you should get professional help for that when, when leading people in your congregation, when leading friends in your small group. What are things that maybe are some pieces of advice you would give to, yeah, you can you can speak into that, you can you know encourage or whatever it is and not be afraid to do something wrong because the stigma has been maybe gone and now counselors and therapists are, are maybe not looked at negatively, you doesn't mean you become one either. Right. Even in counseling and therapy, therapy, we have areas of expertise. And so if I know as a therapist that I'm an issue comes into my office that's outside of my area of expertise, I'm going to refer it out. Not because I'm intimidated by the issue and not because I probably couldn't use some logic or knowledge or experience I have to tackle it, but because if I'm wanting them to get the best care, I have I, I just should responsibly refer that out to somebody that specializes in that. So for example, in the first 10 years of my practice, children that had that were on the spectrum we call it mm-hmm. spectrum disorder so autism Asperger's there was a degree of that that I was really really I had gotten good at that um, and really done some studying but adults 
that struggled in that area. Mm. That was not an expertise area for me, so I would refer out. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same in ministry. We in ministry, you we you probably have an area that you're like, yep, maybe it's relationships or maybe it's working with young men that you're like, I feel competent mm-hmm. in this. I've done some some study in this area. I feel like the Lord has given me a download in this area. But maybe another issue, like somebody is in a homicidal state. Mm-hmm. that's outside of your area of expertise. And so for their best interest, not because of any reflection of you, but for their best interest, you refer that out. Yeah. Because when we're working with other people, we always have to be thinking outside of ourselves. What's best for them in this situation? And can I give them what's best? Yeah, no, that's so good. And I think it takes a lot of security in yourself as a leader, as a therapist, as a pastor to say, no, I don't, I'm not an expert in that area. Um, but really an encouragement to people to build their networks and their community yes. and with, with other Christian counselors, with other even churches to say, hey, I may, maybe maybe our church that you're a part of, maybe we don't have the team that would best serve you. Having those relationships with other churches in mm-hmm. the area, um, obviously that believe what you believe, but I think that goes a long way. Um, as we kind of wrap up the the episode here, I, like we mentioned, there's a lot of rabbit holes we could go down and talk for probably m- several hours on these. But what are some things that maybe you would want to say as someone with your experience, two pastors, two church leaders, um, that maybe are maybe it's things that they miss or misconceptions or encouragements to them that really is as you have this this voice right now as they're listening, maybe driving in their car on the autopilot or washing the dishes or whatever they're doing right now, what would what would you like to say to them uh, in the area of mental health, mental illness, and really just motivation and discipline for this new year? Um, I think what I would say is to really prioritize it. Every year, we know a new year is coming. And so many of the goals that we set are around um, kind of like what you said, their physical goals or maybe they're quantitative or, you know, I, I think really prioritizing emotional health because everything comes from that place. Um, the discipline that we have, the motivation that we have, the way we care for our families, the way we care for the people that have been assigned to us, it comes from us being in a healthy place. And if we don't prioritize that, eventually there will be something that shows up. Um, and I was reading in um, is in Genesis, and uh, Genesis 49, I think, and um, Judah... Um, is talking to Israel's talking to his sons. He's about to die. He's given out inheritance, right? And he gets to Reuben and he's like, you know, you're the strongest, you know, you're you're the mightiest, but you're as unstable as water. <laughs> like literally, I can't I can't trust you with anything. And so you can't excel. You know, and we see in the gospels where Jesus is like that we need to possess our soul. Our soul is our seat of our emotions. It's our it's our mind, it's our will, it's our character. And so when we are neglecting that, it's gonna impact every other area. And I think as people who care for other people in ministry, 
we have to be the example. Mm -hmm. We have to lead by example. I want to be able to say to people that I'm treating how much I value my emotional health. So here's my healing plan. And here's the way that I prioritize this. Nobody wants to hear from somebody that has book knowledge, but they're not applying it. Mm -hmm. So I would just encourage all the leaders to really um, make um, kind of a, a priority and to lay aside um, stigmas or wrong thinking around this area um, and to really be the example for the people that we serve, that the Lord created us this way, that all three components are to be totally. prioritized. Since I'm on a roll here, I thought <laughs> taking control or take control of your soul was what I heard you say through the my preacher uh, lens. I'm trying to think of sermon points I like uh, that. for this, but I love that... Um, this is a great way to start off the year for people. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I mean, again, they know us at River Valley. If they listen any bit, we're, we have so much conversations around going, even with our theme this year, as we are we are going to continue to run fast. Yeah. Um, but you have to take care of yourself, and I love what you talked about. And really, I just want to say thank you right. uh, for those who maybe want to learn more about what you do or, or who you are. Is there any place you would send them uh, to go? Or would you say, I got enough homeschooling. I got enough uh, stuff on my plate. Go find a Christian therapist in your area. Not not saying they should come see you, but just if they want to yeah. stay, stay involved in what yeah. you're doing. Yeah, I always love, um, I love for people to reach out to me. They can find me on social media. I'm Deetra Tony Clark on Facebook. I'm Prosperous Living Deetra uh, on Instagram. So people no can pressure always- pressure there when your title's Prosperous Living. Come on, it's you It's from 3 John yeah. 1, 2. Being good health but is your soul right? prosperous, <laughs> right? Because I believe in it so yeah. much. And so, yeah, I love for people to reach out. Questions, they can reach out there. Um, have an email. It's prosperouslivingdetra at gmail.com if anybody wants to reach out there. But I love questions about this. So yeah, amazing. feel free to reach out. Well, thank you so much. It's an amazing way to start off your year, our year. And uh, just want to say thank you again for bringing us all of this on Talking Church today. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs>